Uh, the title is Choosing Your Position. Right, and we're going to take the lesson out of Genesis 12 and 13. So we're going to use Genesis 12 for context. Um, we're going to draw some of our main points out of chapter 13. Um, any Formula One fans in the room? Anybody feel like they're missing something right now? <laughs> right, so today is the day of the, the Shanghai Grand Prix. And I've got three points in honor of both Abram and the Shanghai Grand Prix. <laughs> um, so three points. First of all, pole position. Right. Point two, being overtaken. Not a good feeling, right? Not a good feeling. And then the final point, the winning position. Okay. Um, it's funny, when you're in a race, right, when you're, win- when you're leading the race, that comes with possibly mixed emotions, right? Because you're at the front, you're feeling good, okay, but then you think, actually, I need to maintain this. When it's a 100 meter dash, right, I guess there's a relatively short period of that psychological impact. When you're doing like a thousand meters or something, it's quite different, right? Being first place in the beginning means nothing, like literally nothing. In fact, that could be to your detriment. Um, so we're going to read um, about how Abraham chose his position in a number of different scenarios. We're going to start in Genesis 12. Alrighty. <clears throat> so, the Lord had so from verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show. I'll give you a second to turn there, actually. So this is the introduction uh, to Abram. So prior to this point, no mention. Um, and Abram becomes Abraham later on. God renames him. And um, he's defined as one of the fathers of faith, or the father of faith. Um, and from him, incredible, from him, we are all children of God. We're all connected from Abraham and then linking primarily to Christ. Christ being the pinnacle of the story. Um, but this is a shadow, this was a shadow of what was to come. Okay, so from verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be blessed. I will bless those, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, hence us. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So Lot was, was his cousin, was his relative. Um, or was it nephew? Nephew, forgive me. <laughs> Only truth up here, okay? Um, feel free to correct me. Um, so Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, there we go, see, if I just waited, it would have clarified, um, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, um, and they went out of the land of Canaan, um, and they arrived there, so, so, and they went, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh uh, at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "To your offspring, I will give you. To the offspring, I will give this land." So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent, uh, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 
Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. I'm just going to grab some water very quickly. So first of all, what, what a great example of faith. God called and he responded. And bearing in mind there was no scriptures at this point, there was no writings, there was no you know, teaching that he could say, okay, cool, this is the point at which I am now to go. Um, but th- this was the first response that we have uh, to the gospel, uh, or to, to the calling of God, which then grows to become the gospel. God promised him to make him into a great nation. So at this point, he was relatively old. Um, he had no kids, but yet there was something that was completely out of, beyond his imagination that God was trying to assure him of, and he accepted that assurance. Um, so a, a great example for us. So we're continuing the story. <coughs> Excuse me. So now there was a famine... Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. Uh, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So that's how to encourage your, your wife's husband. <laughs> Quick shout, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, uh, they will say, this is, sorry, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Okay, so he started well, and then uh, he ended alternatively. Um, When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Uh, he treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord uh, inflicted serious diseases on, Pharaoh's, on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said. Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, uh, and they sent him on his way, and his wife and everything he had. So Abraham went from Egypt to the Negev. Yep, so turn in the page <laughs> to the Negev, and his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Okay. So, <clears throat> despite having been incredibly faithful in responding to the call and accepting the promise that God had made him, he didn't make the best decisions after that point, right? And I think we can all probably quite relate to that, having made a faithful decision, having made a decision to, you know, maybe to, to become a Christian, thinking, you know, all the things you're leaving behind, all the things you're walking towards. Um, but then, day in, day out, we're challenged with choosing, you know, the blue pill, red pill situations, you know, to, to actually just ignore what you've learned um, and do what you wish to do or actually uh, to, to embrace the faith that has been imparted to you. Right, so if we break it down, so first of all, he left where God had sent him. God had sent him to a specific place, um, and he left again a reason that we could probably all relate to: some financial issues. 
And I remember when I graduated, I moved, I went to live in Slough, because that was where my grad job was. And I felt, you know, I had to take this job because I don't know if I'll get another job. And that was probably, at the time, when I was going into central London, it was an hour and a half from the fellowship. And when I moved to West London, it was a half an hour drive. Right, so either way, I was far from fellowship. But again, a decision made because financial challenges, maybe, um, or you know, just general life circumstances, worries and fears. So that was his first decision. Um, then he created this lie, right? He created this lie to protect himself. And again, very reasonable outside of the context of faith to say, if my life is threatened, I'm going to make some stuff up. <laughs> I'm going to adjust the truth, right? I'm going to give a different flavor. And then he made everybody else live this same life. Because everyone would have had to align with this story, right? You can't say one thing over here and then, you know, people are talking different, different lines. So you probably have to go and explain this to everyone. Right? So he brought everybody into this storyline, right? Then his family was broken up. Imagine, you, you say to, to your wife, hey, let's just pretend we're brother and sister to, to protect me, Right? Um, and then she's with another guy for a period. Like, wh- what did that mean? That's just weird and, and awkward. How would she feel? You know, I can only imagine she was not super inspired by that, by that decision on his part. Um, and um, in a nutshell, he literally put her in danger. Right? Discouraged wife. Not cool. Bad life. Bad decision. Um, and all of that. Right, so, so where I'm from, this is known as what you call a very sticky situation, right? <laughs> so grew up in East London, came to university up in Birmingham, now living in West London. In East London, it's called a sticky situation. It's probably called a sticky situation everywhere. But I used to use that phrase a lot in school, right? <laughs> this is like the pinnacle of sticky situations. But then, how did God then respond to that? Okay, so financial situation, dealt with everything. Right, so not only did he, was everything okay, God gave him much more than he actually had in the first place. Right, so he freed him from his lie. So a good sign of going down the wrong path is when an unrighteous man who has no connection or interest to God rebukes you for your poor moral decisions. He <laughs> right, says, why did you tell me she was your uh, sister? Um, take her out of here, please. Um, freed everybody else. Right? <coughs> Reunited his family. Brought everybody back together. Um, and encouraged his wife. God, God covered all of the bases. So despite Abram's faithlessness, God was still faithful. And that for me is incredibly inspiring. Um, and it, it, it just helps me to appreciate, just the same way we have, for example, like my mum. I know for no reason, she would not want to see me hurt. She wants to see me learn and grow. Right? She wants to see me become a better person. Um, and likewise with God, but infinitely more perfectly. Um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, so, during Abraham's period of kind of figuring things out his own way, trying to do things in a way that made sense to him, that aligned with his logic, um, God the whole time was saying, look, whenever you prioritize yourself, whenever you put yourself in pole position, you're just delaying the inevitable loss that you're about to experience. You're just trying to hold in there. You're swerving in the streets. Um, and I'm just saying, pull over, let me lead the way. So, so, so God is, so you see, first of all, we've got Abe in, in the blue, right? God in the red, Lot in, in, in the black. So God is literally saying, look, I, I honestly have this. I will look after you. I will protect you. I will support you. I will provide the appropriate 
direction, but let me lead. Mm. Let me come back to the front. And um, the great thing is, how did Abraham then respond post this experience in Egypt, post the rebuke from Pharaoh, uh, post wondering a little bit? He went back to where he began. He went back to where he started, um, back to the altar he first built. Right? And it said that he called upon the Lord once more. The thing is, when we turn away from God, when we make the decision to take the lead, God doesn't want us to feel beaten up or feel terrible or feel discouraged or distressed. He wants us simply to respond in the right way. He wants us to respond to him. And this response is taken incredibly seriously. So, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, so these are the words of Jesus, it says, Yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Right? <coughs> so again, this is, it's not a desire to, to see people, again, punished, beaten up for the sake of it. But God is simply saying, remember the things that you did at first. Remember when you made that first faithful step. Remember when you left your family, all, all the, the things that you were familiar with, right, to, to, to Abram. And you set out on this journey. Go back to that attitude. Go back to that perspective. And sometimes we can feel as Christians, as we get more and more mature, that the things we did in the beginning become less and less relevant or, that, you know, less and less engaging. But sometimes the basic truths, the foundational principles are the things that sustain us in the most challenging times. It's not necessarily the, the deep, advanced apologetics or the you know the the, the 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 lessons that revolve around 17 greek words and how they derived from sometimes it's just basics like put god first um so again in abram's response he made that decision and said hey god take over please um and you see that reflected in his attitude <coughs> excuse me um I can relate to Abram a lot um, from many, many different decisions because despite making, again, making this decision to say, I want to live life with Jesus as my Lord, it's so easy to allow the world to influence your perspective. So I remember um, back in 2011, um, so, so prior to, to studying the Bible, my number one objective in life, just because I probably didn't think too much about anything else, was just to get the most prestigious job I can find. Right, so that was the objective because it just seemed the right thing to do. I didn't see any other alternative thing to spend my time on or energy um, until coming into contact with the scriptures for what they were worth. Um, so I had lined up all of my work experiences to get a specific job, and the job was an international manager for HSBC. Right. That was all I was interested in. So I had my work experience in a bank. I then did an in, so I did an, an internship. It was basically I worked with my uncle in Barbados, which was just always nice. Um, and then the following summer was like a sales job in Egypt. So I had lined up two months in Egypt. Right? And this was all before studying the Bible and realizing that my life was going to change. Um, so literally five days after, or so. I think maybe five or six days after being baptized, I went to Egypt for two months. Um, and I was given lots of advice in terms of how to, to manage, how to um, you know, remain connected to the body, both in the UK 
um, in Birmingham, as well as to the brothers and sisters in Egypt. Um, but when did that happen was I felt, you know what? I have a faith. Like, I'm good. The Holy Spirit's with me. I will be fine. Honestly, I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to, you know, preach the word on the trains. Maybe meet a, a couple of uh, new Muslims that want to know more about their faith. Uh, idealistic perspective. Incredibly naive. And the reality was... I just wanted to get the work experience. I didn't want to be disrupted too much. I didn't want to be the awkward guy that's like, oh, by the way, I've got to make a phone call to connect with my, my brothers and sisters in, in the UK from my church. Um, so I was very much driving the agenda. But what, simply, what, what ended up happening was I went to church a few times, and I really did enjoy church, but very few people spoke English. There was one guy who spoke English and one sister who spoke English. He never picked up his phone for whatever reason whatever, you know, I accept that. Um, and she was, was she married at the time? Or maybe she was engaged at the time. So my connections were, 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 were very loose. Um, and, um, <coughs> and getting into, because again, Egypt had experienced a revolution in like the January, this was the July. Um, traveling wasn't necessarily the easiest. I was always willing to do it because I loved it. It was just fun. Um, and people saw me as very, very different. So I was generally not troubled and people were very interested and respectful and stuff um, but it wasn't always possible to travel to, to, to church into midweek and stuff so I ended up going only a few times um, I ended up kind of questioning a lot of stuff and, and kind of just swaving a little bit um, and I also lived in an apartment with um, three guys and a girl and it just wasn't helpful at all but none of this stuff I decided I didn't catch up with anybody to help to say hey maybe I should make a stand here and say hey I, I want to live with guys because of my faith uh, or to say, hey, I'm not going to do those things, or I need to, to break, I need to call a break in the agenda because I'm going to go and join my church in, in central Cairo. I wasn't connected. And I remember coming back to Birmingham um, for the start of my third year and thinking, had I even become a Christian? Did I even do it right? Simply because at that period, God wasn't number one. And it was really useful. I remember sitting on Andy's couch, kind of explaining, I messed up, this wasn't good, you were right, I was wrong, let's go back to the scriptures. Um, But the grace abounded. Um, And it it meant the world to me, simply because because God did not want to disconnect me. He wanted me to learn. So actually, professionally, it was one of the best summers, because it helped and enhanced my CV. But at the same time, spiritually, I quickly realized that I do not want that career. I didn't even want that career path. Like, in my heart of hearts, literally, if I was offered the job, I would not accept it with joy um, because it's not how I wanted to live. And that experience shaped my perspective. Um, but one thing to call out is sometimes in our sin, in our periods of being disconnected, because things don't go drastically wrong, we think it's okay. Or we might think it's okay. Right? But God's kindness in our sin is not him accepting us or not saying it's all good um, it's him trying to refine us and trying to teach us the lesson with a very gentle and supportive hand but you know a question for all of us are there areas in our lives where we're not making God number one where we're not going back to the basics where we're not saying actually I am open to alternatives outside of my own opinion I'm opening to hearing the input and support and, and advice from other people and when it's advice I don't agree with, am I, am I actually saying, let me get into the detail of why this is what I've been recommended and let me pray about this. Let me challenge my own perspective. Are there areas that we're not willing to expose ourselves? Um, and, you know, and, and a good question that, comes, that, that, that 
can help me to consider whether I'm putting God's first is are there areas where I am hell-bent on a decision and I'm not interested in taking it to God in prayer and I'm actually nervous or anxious about sharing it with other people in case they tell me otherwise because that's when I'm in 100% control there's no space for God even um, and um, honestly God doesn't desire to be number two or joint first there's, there's no no, no, everyone's a winner here. This is God desires to be number one. Um, okay, so uh, a very intense experience for for Abram coming out of Egypt. So, um, but now things are calming down a little bit. He's reflecting, taking a bit more stock of his circumstance. So we're going to read uh, now from fifteen to so from chapter f- verses five to thirteen. Okay, so it reads. Now Lot, who was moving around with Abraham, moving around Abram, um, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, and their so, could not support them while they stayed together. And their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And the quarrelling and quarrelling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have, let's not have, okay, I, I typed this out myself so I can engage more with the scriptures. I think I mistyped something. Um, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between our herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go left, I will go right. If you go right, I will go left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, um, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. Uh, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, where so while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near to Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Okay, so coming out of Egypt, Abram and uh, Lot were considered to be incredibly wealthy. Right? And in, in Hebrew, the word for wealth was the same word for burden. So, 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 so this is DJ Khaled, or this is trainer collection, right? So when he has to move house, he has to account for over a hundred different pairs of trainers. Just the thought of moving the room alone would stress me out. It's like, jeez, you've got to rebuild, you've got to reorganize. Wealth then, and is to this day, a massive burden, right? So they had to not only um, move their things with them, they had to ensure that they had reliable men and women who wouldn't steal from them because you couldn't account for everything. You know, what if one pair goes? You know? How do you know? Or if it's replaced with a, like a fake knockoff pair, you wouldn't know, right? Likewise with a sheep or a goat. Um, so this was a big deal, the passing of, of these two guys. It meant, it meant something. Um, but the way Abraham decided to, to, to make this decision wasn't a case of, do you know what? I kind of started this, this expedition, God called me. Um, so I think, let us go to the priority land, you know, to the nicer place, and you guys take the alternative. I think that's fair, because, you know, I actually have hooked you up, to be totally honest. You're my nephew. Um, you know, I'm the older 
you know, all of these different things that would entitle him to make the, the call. But actually, he decided to give Lot the call. He said, look, you choose where you want to go. And we will take the alternative. I'll put my place, I'll make myself secondary to you. Um, and I bet you that Abram was able to do that simply because he had made the decision to let God go in front. Therefore, he had a great... I can imagine having so much peace of mind that it didn't really matter where he went because there was a big, huge promise attached to Abram's faithfulness. So he said, look, you could put me... Uh, you, you, could, you could put me in a, in a Range Rover, you could put me... I don't even know what that is. That's a, uh, I, just tried, I think I just Googled old banger, right? You could put me in either one. I know I'm going to get to my destination. Right? So he moved with that kind of faith and that kind of confidence and that kind of peace. Right? So Abram prioritized peace over his rights. He prioritized alignment with... Uh, you know, maintaining that relationship with, with Lot, maintaining that relationship with God, maintaining that relationship, demonstrating a good example to his herdmen and, and, and the, the servants that followed him and the people that were around him. He, he prioritized that example yeah. over choosing his rights, over what he felt, what he may have felt entitled to, over um, just considering him to be, himself to be number one. Um, so he demonstrated what Jesus outlined in what was the greatest command. Right? So the most important one answer Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is, is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, there is no commandment greater than these. It's no coincidence that calling upon God first leads us to be able to put ourselves second and consider others above ourselves Call, making, honestly and truly there's only really one point here in this sermon, it's making God first um, and this is almost like an alternative angle, when you make God first you enable everybody else to move forward so that they can get even closer to God because of your example um, but, if, but if, I'm, if I'm being completely honest and maybe all of us too Putting others first is super challenging, yeah. right? Super, super challenging, simply because fundamentally, I know I have been trained to be selfish, to be independent. It is the North Star for the average human being, right? It is the number one priority. Um, but a scripture that's helped me a ton in my perspective on putting others first, especially in terms of my thinking and, and my speech, um, is Ephesians 4, uh, verses 29 to 32. So it reads, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, um, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, uh, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, um, among so along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Right? And in this scripture, if we take it exactly as it's written, it highlights some incredibly powerful and challenging concepts. So it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So not just swearing or, you know, bad things, but any unwholesome talk. And then it goes on to characterize what wholesome is. 
So what is help for building others up? Right? According to their needs. So it's really interesting. Sometimes we can try and build people up according to what we perceive their needs to be. But it's talking about what their needs actually are. So sometimes we can be so biased by our culture, by our perspective, by what we want. That actually we think, and I'm doing this because I love you and because I care about you. But actually it's just because I love me and I love uh, my perspective and I want you to align with mine. Um, according to their needs so that it may benefit those that listen. Um, and then, you know, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, um, malice. Extract these things from how we engage with people, right? Um, and in that lies a massive challenge. And a huge challenge, for me, a helpful way to assess where I'm at on that scale is in the moments where I feel like I'm entitled to an apology or someone has done something wrong to me or I feel offended and I feel like something needs to be addressed. So these are the times that can be often quite challenging to, um, to, not, to speak completely wholesomely right, and to think of someone else's needs. The key question for me is, am I sharing this with this individual so that I can start to feel better, so that I can feel um, good, so that I can feel like you understand my pain? Because often when we try to make someone understand our pain, we just try to inflict pain so they can have some some level of of understanding and compassion. Um, Or am I doing this so that in the long run, it benefits this person? So in the long run, this person can see God in a greater way. Um, So that's like one litmus test. Another is um, when, when I'm speaking to this individual, if they say, do you know what? What you're saying is nonsense. I completely disagree with what you're saying. Here's the 17 reasons why I don't agree. And actually, do you know what? Get out. Kind of concept, right? So that's the extreme, right? Most of the time, it's not, it's not so extreme. It may just be a thank you, but I'm not going to apologize, right? So we've probably experienced this before. A question then is, if someone responds negatively to what I'm about to share... How is that going to then change my attitude? Is it going to lead me to anger and brawling and slander and malice in my heart? Or is it going to lead me to think, man, I wish they understood. I wish for their sake that they were able to engage with the gospel of Christ. Because their redemption matters. Right? Because often I, I want to share something with someone and I just want it, I want them to understand how much they've hurt me. Um, and I want them to see the obvious truth in my head. And then when they don't, I'm like, what an unreasonable guy. This person cannot be reasoned with. This person is, 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 um, not being righteous. You know, if it's a brother or sister, or if it's, you know, someone at work or something, he's like, actually, you know, these non-Christians kind of concept, you can have this arrogance about you. Um, but I'm going to invite Kimberly up to, to share um, on this perspective as well. You're doing great, Sen. It's really good. Because um, uh, Sen actually asked me to share this quite recently. So I haven't fully planned something, but he asked, you know, when have you been in a position where when you've you know, put something that's over God all the time? So it's easy to come up with something. Uh, but I just wanted to share about our marriage because... I think in our, it's been four years, and initially, <laughs> well, okay, I don't know what <laughs> uh, What did you, okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, so in our, in our first year, and, and even beyond that, but really in our first year, that was the challenge. Like, two people, different backgrounds, different um, understanding of love, 
coming together, all I had really and strongly was my opinion and what I cared for and my perspective on a situation. So that challenge was very significant because I put myself before Senyo all the time. At the time, I didn't realize it as such. It felt very much justified, very much, this is, this is the right thing. Like, of course. You know, it could be as simple as how you wash the dishes. First year, I said, first year. <laughs> to, to as much as how we should do the ministry. Um, but what was significant, um, or what I started to see, especially being open, sharing with people, confessing this, it was just apparent, um, my selfishness over and over coming up. Um, and so what happened a lot of times where we had, where we had arguments, and I was definitely the fuel. Well, I would, mm. I, I was, I, I was, I'm more of a dramatic, so I'm already using my hands and everything. Um, obviously we're both fuel, fuel to the situation, right? But I mean, I was definitely the one to be, the one that raised the voice, you know, that, that was angry because I felt my feelings were so hurt. And it was just me misunderstanding him. But I was putting, sometimes definitely putting my <coughs> feelings and my perspective how something should happen um, before Senyo. So just looking at Abraham and Lot, that was a big deal. And even how Senyo has broken this down, it was me going to God and me pleading <laughs> to ask God to help me, to change me, to help me to see what, you know, what, what was my sensitivities. Um, so he allowed me to understand myself better, to understand um, my sin, to understand um, where I was actually thinking of myself over Senior. And it was amazing to see, because um, this Ephesians 4, I, I love the, the chapter, it's about unity really. And it was amazing to see how as I started to drop and and you know how in, in, in Philippians 2, how Jesus puts him, we, we see that description, the visual of he came down from heaven, made himself a human, made himself uh, someone that died on the cross. You know, he, he put himself so low um, that that constant going to God and seeing his sacrifice helped me so much to be able to understand that sending you to be lifted up or my opinion needs to be put down um, not in a oh, let's just be careful here so not in a way of like you know beating myself and like um, negatively putting myself down but putting myself down in that humbling my mind um, humbling my point of view seeing God's view higher than mine making God first and through that um, it was amazing to see the peace that came from that what flourished from that um, undeniable God is a miracle worker and that's where I'm going to end it Amen. thank you very much for sharing and the reality was both of us were equally responsible for our challenges because so, so Kimberly may have been more vocal with some of these things my selfishness was reflected in my attitude it was the actually I fundamentally don't agree with what you're thinking and saying and I'm not going to prioritize that at all um, and I, I, I may do it in a very respectful, very kind of conservative English way um, or, or Barbadian way, defending you, kind of similar cultures. Um, but it just meant that it, it added fuel. It didn't support her in, in seeing um, how we can be united. Um, and the reality is, brothers and sisters, nothing at all on this earth should be able to bring disunity amongst us. Yeah. Nothing, like literally nothing, because even when G- it was, when you listen to Jesus' prayer, um, in John 17, where he prays about unity, God, can the people, uh, 
that, that follow be as united as you and I are united. And we know Jesus' link was 100. Right? That was a, f- a fundamental passion of Jesus, unity amongst his people. So that, and the purpose of that unity so that other people may see Christ in us. Um, and, and let's take that away. Let's take that, that fact of prioritizing God enables us to put aside all of our, all of our own interests um, and put forward the interests of others. So if there's any, any potential conflicts you can see on the horizon, how can you approach that in such a way that says, you know what, I don't care for things of this world except God. God is my number one priority. Or if there's things that are existing or things that are going on, how can we go back and deal with those things to say, do you know what, even if people have wronged us, and they very well may be in the wrong, but the reality is we have to make a decision as to how we're going to bring that relationship back together to demonstrate and, and again, I, I appreciate some situations are far more complex than I can care to imagine. So it may not always be we're going over to each other's houses for Christmas kind of concept, but the reality is the love cannot be lost. It, it absolutely cannot be lost. And Jesus fundamentally died because we lost love for him. His people have lost, the people that were following him for years love lost, lost love for him. They abandoned him, but he never abandoned them. Okay. So, after all of that, <clears throat> Abraham allowed Lot to overtake him. So he clearly was focused on God. But the reality is, and I want to be all the way, I want to keep it 100% real, losing a race does not make you a winner, right? That is, a, that is just what it is. If you lose, you lose, right? That makes you a loser. <laughs> However, in the context of life, the reality is, you, you would never win. You cannot win on your own impossible but what happens when you a allow god to to take over and then b you prioritize everybody else you simply align in god's team right so just like in formula one a team wins and an individual wins god is always going to get the glory in the end hundred percent whether you choose to be a christian or not fact but you can actually be in the same team as god you can be aligned Right, and I was reading the science of being in a. I don't know if anyone ever played Need for Speed back in the day, but when you go directly behind someone, you pick up bonus points, right? So that's that's called drafting or getting caught in a slipstream, and it means that the, the person who's leading is cutting through all the air resistance, all the friction, right? So that when you're behind them, you're just in the warmth of their engine. So you're using less fuel, less effort, less energy because you're being led. Right? It's a massively powerful effect when it comes to racing. So often you'll see cyclists just kind of chilling, third place, fourth place, fifth place. And then in the last like X distance, they just let go because they've been relaxing for, for quite some time. I think I saw one guy just kind of leaning forward because it just meant he didn't even have to use his legs because that has such a big impact, this slipstream. Um, so, so when we are aligned with God, we are in last place. We put ourselves very, very last. But we're on the right team. We're on the winning team. We're guaranteed a medal so long as we maintain our allegiance to the team and we don't fall out of the race. <coughs> so let's read the last section um, of Genesis 13. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, 
so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. God gave Abram an important exercise to do. He made him almost like take a survey of the land. He made him walk around, you know, look all around. And this exercise is an incredibly important one for all of us to do, to remember why it is that we allow God to overtake, to remember what team we're actually really on, to remember why we're prioritizing other people. So that when you see maybe your bank balance not do what everybody else is doing, you remember, ah, yeah. Because of what's, what I see to the, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. When you see people progressing in ways which previously you desired to progress in, and you're not seeing that same progress, but actually spiritually you're fulfilled, you remember, ah, yes, it's because of what I see to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. And the reality is, like in Second Peter verse one, uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> because of God's divine power, we have literally everything we need. Not because we started following Christ and then he gave us a great job. Not because we started following Christ and he made uh, our marriages great. Not because we started following Christ and he made our friendships awesome. No, it's because fundamentally we have absolutely everything we need from that decision of faith. So it's not because of how God blesses us. Because the reality is you may be in a situation right now where you don't feel particularly blessed. You may feel... Actually, I feel like I'm, I'm being given a bit of a hard task. But the fundamental truth is we have everything. And those challenges become a lot easier in that slipstream. Yeah. So to close out, <clears throat> we have to intentionally make God number one. It doesn't happen casually. It doesn't happen by chance. And, and God is never trying to knock us off the road so that he makes himself number one. He allows us to put ourselves first or not. So we have to be intentional about that. Second, we have to passionately consider others greater than ourselves. And again, this is a very proactive exercise. This takes cutting out a section of yourself. Yeah. You, lo- you will lose a part of yourself. And you know, the fundamental, one of the, the key topics of this generation is, who am I? You know, I have to actually, let me be me kind of concept. But you're going to lose that, that right, that, um, that you're gonna, you're not gonna be aligned with everybody else around you in, in that topic. And finally, remember who the win, so remember how, remember who the winners are and how, right? So remember who the true winner is, right? Never will it be you on your own. Never. Never, 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 never. Right? The moment you try, you will fail. Not immediately, but in the long run. Right? So remember how you actually do win. Um, and, I, and I really do hope that's a useful lesson out of Genesis. Um, very helpful for, for me, very helpful for, for Kim as we reflected on this. And um, thank you again for, for your hospitality and your love and your kindness. Um, a big thanks to, to Matt and Tia for hosting Kim and I and for all the other hosts as well, for, for Vicky and Lawrence and for Chids. Um, we are eternally grateful to the love and the care of the Birmingham Church.